very warm welcome to everyone. Thanks very much, Dr. Daniel Gross and Professor Hans-Peter Burkow for organizing today's event and putting together the special issue of credit and capital markets in honor of Anska Birke. I dedicate my presentation to Anska Birke, who for me, as for probably everyone in this room, was not only an academic teacher and companion, but above all, a sincere and warm-hearted, very good friend. We will not forget you, Anska. In the following, I would like to share some aspects that I present in my essay, Modern Financial Market Theory, a critique based on the logic of human action. What is it about? It is about a critical examination of modern financial market theory with its three elements, efficient market hypothesis, rational expectations theory, and portfolio selection theory. Why is a critical examination important? Well, the modern financial market theory has become the almost undisputed core of the theory of finance. It is used in practice, for instance, to determine the cost of capital. Government regulation of financial markets is also based on the statements of modern financial market theory. One might think here, for example, of guidelines for the risk management for banks and insurance companies. Especially when a theory is so prominent, when it is so widely used, it is advisable to keep putting it to inspection repeatedly to remain informed about its assumptions, identify shortcomings and errors, and improve or even dismiss the theory. To critically examine the modern financial market theory, I used the logic of human action as a meta-theory. In a sense, my article is thus a critical elaboration of the scientific method. The scientific method refers to the process used to obtain insights, so true knowledge, about the object of knowledge. The method of modern economics, including financial market theory and the elaborations devoted to it, rests on the foundations of positivism, empiricism, falsificationism. The basic idea is to formulate economic theories and validate their truth content based on data, observations and experiments. The guiding idea is that theories must prove themselves against reality. Positivism, empiricism and falsificationism suffer from a number of epistemological flaws which are far less problematic in the natural sciences than in the social sciences and economics. However, this issue is not the subject of my essay. In my essay, I much rather start with raising and trying to answer the question which scientific method is the right one for economics. In my article, I follow those philosophers and economists who argue that economics cannot be conceptualized without contradictions as an empirical science, but only as an a priori science of human action. Such a viewpoint is in support of a methodological dualism, the claim that social and economic sciences need a scientific method that is categorically different from the one used in the natural sciences. Why such a claim? Well, natural sciences are about things like atoms, molecules, rocks and planets. These objects are characterized by the fact that they have no goals, no preferences, and do not choose means to achieve goals. It is completely different when we look at human beings. Acting man has goals and preferences, chooses means to reach goals, is capable of learning, meaning the knowledge influencing his actions changes over time. 
The peculiarity of the objects of knowledge in the natural sciences allows us to construct if-then hypotheses and to assess the validity based on data. In fact, in the natural sciences, there are mostly homogeneous sets of observations, observations of the same kind that can be used econometrically. It looks completely different in the field of human action. Here, there are no such sets of observations comparable with those in the natural sciences. Each and every human action is a non-repeatable, complex event in time and place, a unique resultant of many causal factors. It cannot be used for positivistic tests like data points collected from laboratory experiments. What scientific method is appropriate in economics? The answer is the logic of human action, or to use a more technical term, praxeology. At the center of the logic of human action is the undeniably true statement that humans act. We cannot deny that humans act without causing an intellectual contradiction. Saying that humans cannot act is a form of human action and thus contradictory. In other words, the statement humans act cannot be denied without presupposing its truth value. It is an a priori. It is valid always and everywhere. It can claim general validity. With the statement humans act, we have a true statement, a rock-solid starting point for scientific endeavors in the field of social sciences, from which we can deduct further true statements. For example, Human action is always goal-related. Action requires the use of means. Means are scarce. Time is a means to achieve an end, and thus scarce. Timeless action is not conceivable without contradiction. Action implies cause and effect, so causality. Action implies time preference, and the manifestation of time preference is the originary interest rate. Time preference and the originary interest rate are always and everywhere positive. They cannot disappear. The a priori science of human action gives us the categories to distinguish correct from incorrect theories and theorems in the field of human action. These categories are, in the language of the Prussian philosopher Immanuel Kant, the conditions of the possibility of experience in general. Economic theories in contradiction to these categories of human action can be identified as false. This can be apprehended on the basic of logic thinking. No empirical tests are necessary. The a priori science of human action claims absolutely correct knowledge in a comparatively narrow field of applicability. In many areas of modern economics, an a priori human action scientist would not consider scientific statements possible. With these preliminary remarks, I now turn to my critique of the modern financial market theory. The efficient market hypothesis dates back to the work of the French mathematician Louise Bachelier in 1900 and in its current form to the work of Paul Samuelson and Eugenie Farmer in the 1960s. In a sense, it states in its weak, semi-strong or strong form that financial market prices such as stocks, bonds, foreign exchange, etc., contain all relevant information at any point in time and that it is not possible for an investor to achieve excess returns on a sustained basis, so outperformance would not be possible on a sustained basis. The practical recommendation derived from this is pursue a passive investment strategy, do not try to beat the market, stay away from stock picking, invest in broadly diversified market portfolios. However, there are some problems with the efficient market hypothesis. 
One is that it is not a hypothesis. It is not formulated as an if-then statement. Therefore, efficient market conjecture would probably be a more appropriate term. More important is the problem that the conjecture of efficient markets says nothing about which information is relevant, such as interest rates, inflation, profit margins, credit default probabilities, etc. How does one assess whether financial asset prices are informationally efficient? Since the efficient market conjecture does not tell us anything about this, in empirical work, analysts usually take recourse to one assumption, namely the assumption that today's price is information efficient and therefore the best estimator for its future price. On this basis, tests are carried out. However, in such an approach, something is already assumed to be valid, namely the informational efficiency, which has to be proven first. Any such test would consequently lead to a circular reasoning and thus to questionable results. To give a very simple illustration, on these two charts you see monthly returns of the S&P 500 stock market index. On the horizontal line you find the returns in period T, on the vertical line the returns in period T1. The chart on the left is for the period 1990 to 2021, the chart on the right for the period 1970 to 2021. The scatter plots indicate that there is no autocorrelation in the regression residuals, suggesting that past returns did not help predicting future returns, which is what the efficient market conjecture in its weak form claims. I hasten to add, however, that the results do not answer the question whether financial asset prices always contain all relevant information. Trying to test whether excess returns can be achieved or not is also problematic. After all, how can excess returns be calculated? It requires an equilibrium market model, a market return, which is usually determined consulting the capital asset pricing model, for instance. However, the assumption of an efficient market is a central building block of the CAPM. Thus, if you wanted to answer the question of whether or not excess returns are possible with the help of the CAPM, you would run into a circular argument. What is to be proven is already assumed to be valid. In addition to these more empirical theoretical problems, the following consideration is particularly significant from a human action point of view. If, for example, a stock or bond changes hands, this happens because the buyer and seller have unequal opposing desires. To the seller of a share, the money he earns is worth more than the share he surrenders. And for the buyer of a share, it is the other way around. For him, the share is worth more than the money he pays for it. This means, quite obviously, that at the time of buying or selling, different market actors either have the same information set but value it differently, or they have different information sets, making them opt for different actions. As mentioned, the conjecture of efficient markets cannot be convincingly verified empirically, and from the point of view of human logic, action logic, it is also undecided whether it is right or wrong. The real problem behind what has been said so far is that the efficient market conjecture has become closely associated with the rational expectations theory. This occurred in the middle of the 1970s, triggered by a paper by Thomas Sargent on the analysis of the term structure of interest rates. 
From this point on, the efficient market conjecture was no longer perceived as a mere statistical distribution of market prices or their changes, a martingale, a random walk, a sequence of random variables, but as an equilibrium model based on the theory of rational expectations. The theory of irrational expectations goes back to John Muth in 1961. In its strict form, it states that all market agents have the relevant information to form optimal expectations. Second, they have the correct model of reality. And third, they have the relative frequency distribution of future events so that their expectation error is unbiased and has a value of zero. What is to be said about this from the point of view of the logic of human action? Well, it is strange to believe that market agents could have an exhaustive list of all future events because that is exactly what they would need if they were to have knowledge of the relative probability of future events, as rational expectation theory suggests. After all, not even resourceful entrepreneurs know for sure what will happen tomorrow in terms of consumer demand, technological progress and competition. In fact, such an idea is not tenable for reasons of human action logic. Indeed, the existence of such a list would imply that people are not capable of learning, much rather that they already know today everything that will happen in the future, respectively that they would already know today the probabilities of the occurrence of future events and consequently a list of such events. In other words, they would have to know today everything that can be ever known and consequently there would not be anything to learn. However, the ability to learn cannot be denied without contradiction. Whoever claims that man cannot learn assumes that man can learn. Otherwise, he would not make this statement at all. In doing so, he is committing a performative contradiction. And whoever says that man can learn not to learn admits that man can learn, thus commits an open contradiction. In short, the ability to learn turns out to be an a priori. The ability to learn cannot be denied without already presupposing its validity. And thus, a central element in the theory of rational expectations proves to be false. And one more thing. The rational expectation theory also assumes that everyone makes correct predictions and that their expectation error is zero on average. Consequently, everyone must have the same knowledge and everyone must be equally smart or equally stupid. Otherwise, the expectation error would not be random but systematic. However, to say that everyone has the same knowledge is contradictory in itself. Because if this were really the case, you would not need to communicate and argue. Everybody would know everything already after all. But as I already said, this is contradictory and therefore wrong. Now some words on the portfolio selection theory presented by Henry Markowitz in 1952. Among other things, it describes investment risk as the fluctuation of market prices, the so-called volatility, the variance of the returns of securities. However, this is justified only if market prices actually contain all relevant information at any time and any place, as postulated by the efficient market conjecture and rational expectation theory. The work on behavioral finance, especially by Richard Thaler and uh, Robert Schiller in the early 1990s, challenges the efficient market assumption and the theory of rational expectations. 
According to behavioral finance theorists, there are always phenomena and situations on financial markets such as misjudgments, greed, panic, etc., in which asset prices do not correspond to their fundamental values. Be that as it may, from a point of view of human action logic, however, we would have to say that people who act make mistakes. Erring is not only human. Human action also implies uncertainty, not radical uncertainty, but uncertainty about future events and actions. If there were no uncertainty, the future would be known and human action would no longer be able to influence the course of events. One would then no longer be able to act at all. And this is a wrong consideration. One cannot not act. To say that there is no uncertainty would be tantamount to negating an a priori. The presumption that there are always situations in financial markets in which an asset price deviates from its fundamental value, that is, that the efficient market conjecture and rational expectation theory do not hold, is underscored by the outperformance of quite a few successful investors who have not followed the teachings of the modern financial market theory, but who have acted contrary to it, exploiting deviation of financial asset prices from their fundamentally justified levels. Successful investors, I may add, do not consider price volatility as risk. To them, the probability of a permanent loss of capital invested is what they call risk. I derive two insights from my reflections. First, modern financial market theory, even if it is widely accepted and well-established, is not convincing if we adopt a human action logic perspective so that its recommendations for investors and policymakers should be taken with a grain of salt, to put it diplomatically. Second, a resumption of the scientific methodological dispute should help increasing the competition of ideas to gain better and true knowledge into the workings of financial markets. War is too important to be left to generals. This is a quote attributed to George Clemenceau. And with that in mind, let me conclude by saying that financial market theory is too important to be left to the method of mainstream economics and a priori action theorists to go unheard. Thank you very much for your attention.